Thank you. Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and my apologies, somebody asked me what the text was, and I told them Matthew 7. Probably wouldn't hurt if I knew what I was going to preach. But where would the fun be in that? Matthew chapter number 6. Let's go ahead and stand, please. We're going to read verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 this morning. And we are certainly just extracting a portion of this Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at this portion instructively this morning as instruction to us. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And then what follows is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And we actually looked at that passage a couple of weeks ago. We will not return to it this morning. Let's pray. Father. Help us to pray. Help us to be people who believe in prayer and who practice prayer and who understand prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may, of course, be seated. But that there is coming a day when God will vindicate his name and when we will understand his ways and the handling of our requests. From Luke 11, we learn to pray properly, to orient our prayers first around things that concern the Lord, to make Him the centerpiece of our prayers, to pray, as somebody has pointed out, to pray the Bible first. And then we have this passage this morning, our portion this morning in which Jesus instructs us the necessity of our prayers being in sincerity. This would, of course, encompass faith, belief in God, but it is, it is more than that. It is, it is understanding how to come to God and the way that he responds and what it is that we are really doing. What are we doing when we pray. The passage by default requires a lot of explanation and qualification that we will deal with as we get to it because if we handcuff ourselves too tightly we will find that we might think Jesus is actually prohibiting 
some things that he is not, and we don't want to do that. Jesus basically makes two points this morning, and that will constitute the way our outline flows. Verse number five, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. When you pray, do not attempt to pray in such a way as to impress men. Do not pray in such a way as an attempt to impress people. At this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is critical of some of the things that religious leaders are doing, not because they did them, but because of the reasons for which they do them. And this is, by the way, folks, one of the great quandaries and dilemmas of Christianity is not only what we're doing, but why we are doing it. And the reality is, as human beings, I don't know that we always know clearly why we are doing anything or many things. But Jesus is not going down there. He's not calling all of our motives into question. He's pointing out that these people have clearly flawed motives. That, that they were insincere in what they're doing. They were doing it for the wrong reason. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, Jesus had been talking to them about giving alms. Pointing out to them, not the, failed, not the flaw in giving alms. Is there anything wrong with helping poor people? There is not anything wrong with helping poor people. And in fact, Paul will point out that the early church was very much concerned with helping the poor. And when Paul's own apostolic position is called into question, he says, look, I taught people, remember the poor. So what is Jesus criticizing in Matthew 6, 1 through 5? Not giving of alms, but giving of alms so that you might be seen giving alms. So that everybody would know that you did give alms. And perhaps everybody would know how much you gave in alms. But just all under this umbrella that you would be seen of men. That you would be seen of men. In verses 16 through 18, Jesus takes up the subject matter of fasting. Is it okay to fast? Should Christians fast? Should New Testament saints fast? Paul fasted. The question is not, folks, Jesus isn't calling into question the rightness or wrongness of fasting. That's not the subject matter. The Jews had been taught to fast. The question is, why are you fasting? And the answer was, for these religious leaders, they were fasting not because of anything to do with the Lord or anything to do with a concern, but they were fasting so that people would see them fasting. And that people then would come to conclusions about how deeply spiritual and they committed they were. Look at, look at how spiritual I am. I have an acquaintance. I have a friend. We went to college together. He told me one time when he, when he first got saved, he bought the biggest Bible that he could find so that people would think he was really spiritual. Right? Because if you have a huge Bible, right? if the dimensions of your Bible are massive, I, 
I guess that must mean you love it more. So then in between that, in between the giving of alms and the fasting, Jesus talks the same kind of talk about praying. And so he rebukes not the practice of praying, not even the practice of public praying, but the practice of praying so that you might be seen to be someone of prayer. Notice the way he puts it. They love to pray standing in the synagogues. They love to pray on the street corners. As if prayer is some kind of performance. But I think, folks, that we're not doing any injustice to the sentiment to realize that it is possible to turn any part of Christianity into some kind of performance. To do something so that others would see us. This isn't the only place, by the way, if you want to, you can turn to it. I'm going to read from it, Matthew 23. Jesus makes the same kind of criticism about the Pharisees, right? And we need to read what Jesus says about the Pharisees and to the Pharisees also very carefully because oftentimes he will be very favorable about the things that they're teaching and highly critical of the reasons behind why they're teaching it. Matthew 23.1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples. Everybody's about to hear what he has to say about a very narrow group of people. The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works. In other words, they're not doing what they're preaching. For they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. All their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, which are, you can, if, if you go to Jerusalem, I'm assuming I was, I was in, been in Jerusalem once in my life in 2008, and you could go to a little kiosk and you could rent a phylactery and wrap it around your arm. Little, little prayer cards. They made big ones, right? I mean, this is probably a terrible analogy, and anytime I do something impromptu, it always comes back to haunt me. But these are the guys at the football game wearing the biggest cheese heads. Look at what a fan I am. These are the guys at the football games with the biggest Herbie Huskers. They've got the biggest Bibles and the biggest prayer cards. They love, verse 23, 6, the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. We may talk about that in a few weeks. I mean, what, what does it mean to not call somebody Rabbi? But you know this, folks, and some of you, depending upon your background, you know this better as well as I do, that even in fundamentalism, there is this almost kind of cult of personality for the preacher who is the preacher. To be seen of men, 
to have the praise of men, to have the commendation of men. To go back to Matthew 6, in verse number 5, bad conduct is rebuked and good conduct is explained in verse number 6. Here's how to pray. I mean, if all you're doing is praying, if, if, right, if, if you want to be seen, if you want to be heard, if you want to be known, and, and I don't, right, some of this is hard, folks, because it's really hard in circles like ours to, to really put your finger on anybody of whom you would think that. But Jesus is nevertheless addressing it. And it might be that deep down in the secret recesses of our hearts, we have some kind of aspiration to be seen or to be recognized. Notice what Jesus says. Now, but if you just really want to pray, I mean, if this is what it really is, if it really is about going to the Lord because he is God and asking him because he is God, then go to your closet. Go someplace where you cannot be seen. And, and the driving force, I think, folks, of verse number six, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, is, is not that you have to carve out a place in your linen closet or your bedroom closet. It isn't that it has to be a closet. It is go someplace where nobody's going to see you pray. Go someplace where nobody's going to know you're praying. That's the point. Not within the sight line of other people. And it might be, depending upon the nature of the prayer, and Jesus isn't putting it hypothetically, but I'm kind of turning it hypothetically. It might be, depending upon the nature of the prayer, that you will get a public answer. God is not opposed to answering prayer. God does answer prayer. God is very much put off by people who just want to be seen by other people. So when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Right? And then just a moment of necessary disclaimers and qualifications. This is not a rebuke for praying in public. You may have noticed that in every morning service, we have two of our men pray in public. And in every service, I or whoever is speaking, I, I'm assuming that Brother Andrew J. did last week, we pray in public. And in fact, folks, one of the reasons that you pray in public, some of you guys pray in public, is because 1 Timothy 2.8 says that you should pray in public. I will therefore that men pray everywhere is about the public church services. So Jesus is not rebuking public prayer in general. And I say we need all these, these qualifications and disclaimers so that we think about what the real issue is. It's, it's not about public praying. It is about doing something so that you will be credited for being one who does it. Oh, he's a real man of prayer. How do you know? He always is praying. Or he always tells me how much he prays. This is a rebuke of thinking of prayer as some kind of a status symbol. Like the man who went up to impress the Lord with how often he fasted and how much he prayed. So number one, do not try to impress men when you pray. Number two, verses seven and eight, 
Do not try to impress God when you pray. Verse number 7, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So really, folks, a very simple outline. Jesus is making two points. When you pray, and you should pray, don't try to impress people. And when you pray, and you really should pray, don't try to impress him. Don't try to impress him. You'll notice here that in this passage, Jesus kind of changes targets. When he talked about praying publicly, he talked about the hypocrites and where they were praying was in the synagogues. He was pointing specifically at Jewish people, Jewish leaders. But here it is, don't be like the heathen. Don't be like the nations. Technically, if you want to be precise, do not be like the ethnicities because it is the plural of the word ethnic. The non-Jews. And here is the criticism. Right? That they approach God and their perspective is to approach God with sheer volume. As if somehow sheer quantity of words or gestures or ritualistic behavior will Prove your sincerity to God. There's the criticism, verse 7. Right? In verse number 5, there's a criticism. Here's how the hypocrites pray. Don't do that. In verse number 6, here's the correction. Here's how I want you to pray. In verse number 7, here's the criticism. Not vain repetitions. They think that they will be heard simply because they repeat themselves. And again, Jesus doesn't address this, but I, I, I think, right? I think that we could reach back into the Old Testament and find examples of this, like Elijah and the prophets of Baal. That we can inflict some kind of punishment upon our bodies. And just by the infliction of punishment, we can imagine that we have incurred the favor of the deities. Here's the correction, verse number 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them. You don't need to be like that. You don't need to be like that. Why do I not need to be like that? Well, God already knows what you need. It's, It's not like we're trying to get his attention. Here are some things that I think that we should be concerned about, right, in the correction. Volume, as if God only hears prayers that are loud or forced animation or eloquence or theologically precise language. Will God only hear me if I call him thee? And thou?
The basic, the basic correction is this, this. Ask him from the heart. Ask him from the heart. And I realize, folks, that we are talking to God and not to a man. But I also realize we are talking to a father, not to a dictator. Ask from the heart. Tell the Lord what you need. <clears throat> Which leads me then to another set of qualifications and explanations. Does that mean it's a sin to repeat ourselves? And the answer to that, folks, is it depends on why we're repeating ourselves. Isn't that the whole point? To repeat ourselves in the prayer, in the belief, for instance, that just simply multiplying the expression will somehow get God's attention. No. But when do we tend to repeat ourselves? In the course of conver normal conversations. Let's, let's back away from prayer for a minute. Let's back away from talking to God. Let's have a husband and a wife communicate. Why do conversations tend to become repetitive? Some repetition is because, right, it's sometimes going to be because we're frustrated at things not getting resolved. But sometimes, folks, we repeat ourselves. Here's where I'm really trying to go with this. Because of the interest that is at stake. If something really weighs heavily upon your heart, you're going to talk to it, talk about it to the Lord a lot not because you think your repetition is going to get somewhere, but because it is a burden of your heart. Jesus is not, right? He's not taking the posture, look, you told me once, and I, I got it, and I don't need to hear about it again. He's not saying that. He's never said that. And in fact, if you go back to Luke chapter 18, he taught us to be persistent in our prayers. And he teaches us to ask and to seek and to knock to keep coming to him. So what is he criticizing here? He again, he is not criticizing approaching him again and again. Paul himself besought the Lord three times. Three times he asked the Lord and finally the Lord said, I, I don't want to talk about this anymore, Paul. I'm not changing my mind. I did this for a purpose. And Paul went, okay, good. So it's not repetition that is being criticized. Jesus here is correcting a completely wrong way about thinking about God and prayer. It is not a performance. It is not for us to demonstrate the depth of our Bible knowledge and the breadth of our theological vocabulary. That is not the point. It is not to demonstrate how superior we are to anybody else in the way that we pray. Our prayers, folks, are not even really necessarily designed to be heard by other people. It's certainly not necessary, and I didn't even tackle. I'm, you know, maybe this would have been the place to do it.
but I didn't. This kind of distorted idea we have that God is operating some kind of a democracy, that if I can just get more people praying about something, that will move him. It, that's, not, that's not how it works, folks. Well, lots of people met together at times in the book of Acts to pray because those people all had the same burden. Not because they were operating under the illusion that prayer was some kind of petition that if they could get enough signatures, God would be obligated to act. Pray to the Lord. He is the God of the universe. You can go to a secret place where you'll never be seen. You can talk to your father in plain everyday language from a sincere heart and he understands because he understands the heart and he will answer according to his will. Pray in sincerity. This is, this is a real problem, folks, both with the way we think about God and the way that we sometimes think about ourselves and others. Look, it is a very real human problem or a very real part of humanity, that we want to be perceived in a certain light. I, I've told you this, and it's just, it's, it's, to me, it's just a simple illustration that, you know, my wife and I will spend the day working on a project or working in the yard, and we're just hot and sweaty, and the end of the day will come, and we'll go, oh, we need to run to Menards. And I'll say, let's go. And I am dirty and filthy and sweaty and probably smell like a cow, and so what, I'm going to Menards. And my wife will go, I don't want to go to Menards looking like this. And I'm glad. Now, if I was working on a project with a couple of the guys and I said, let's go to Menards, and one of them said, oh, I don't want to go to Menards looking like this, I would find new friends. <clears throat> but I'm glad that my wife goes, eh, I don't want to go to Menards looking like this. We all are aware that we are being perceived in a certain way. And Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for wanting to be seen of men. This was one of his biggest rebukes of them. Was that they were all show. <clears throat> Paul cautions us about being men pleasers. About doing things for the... Does this mean that we should go out of our way to make people unhappy? You know that Paul, Paul's not arguing that. But we're not men-pleasers. We live our lives before the Lord. Paul teaches us much more clearly that our motives matter. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. God knows what's really going on. And then shall every man have praise of God. Then shall every man have praise of God. So a faulty way of thinking about men is thinking that to be seen and perceived in some kind of spiritual superiority is a good thing, and it is not. And the faulty view of God is to have no genuine faith in him. To have no confidence in the graciousness of his nature and the desire that he has to do good to his children, which he does. Right? We have these kinds of assurances. He will not withhold any good thing from his children. 
Here's the summary. When we get to the bottom of chapter number six, here's the summary of Jesus, of all that Jesus has said to this point. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if I may paraphrase, and everything else will take care of itself. Everything else will take care of itself. Which is really kind of a bad paraphrase because it removes the fact that God will take care of everything else. You seek first God in his kingdom and he will see to the rest. And the Pharisees were people who just really did not do that. They, they had all the external trappings of godliness and all the language of godliness and all the demands upon the others to be listened to because they were the best. But that is not how God viewed them. So to this point, folks, right, let, me just, let me just conclude this in summary. This, this From the Gospels, and we are not really going to turn our attention into more of the New Testament prayers. They are also the word of the Lord. They also have the imprint of inspiration. But Paul's prayers and Peter's prayers are much more complex and nuanced than what Jesus has done. Jesus has laid a foundation, and here it is. Luke 18, pray persistently. Pray persistently. Luke 11, pray properly. Pray to God about things that matter to God and pray sincerely. Let's go to the Lord this morning. Father.